the frying pan. And into the fire, run. Run! Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Out of the Frying Pan, a Middle-Earth strategy battle game podcast that's happy to be tossed, just don't tell the elf. How you doing, guys? <laughs> I'm well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm alright, I'm alright, actually. A bit more upbeat than we were last time. I do apologise to anyone who listened to the last show. Um, we were a little bit kind of um, dazed, but I think things were a bit more normal for the way we've been chatting before the show. I don't think there's any reason to apologise. I thought we were, it was a sign of the times, I, th- I think, <laughs> and I don't think we did anything wrong. And Contextually it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Rather yeah. than being like, hi guys, we're all locked indoors, what are we doing now? It's now, <laughs> everything's as it should be. <laughs> well, I didn't yeah. watch the Queen's speech tonight, so uh, I don't think she's going to announce anything important anyway. I don't watch the Queen's speech on uh, Christmas Day either, sorry mm. for you. I hope hope she told people off like an aging mistress from school. (laughs) Stay indoors. You're not on lockdown. You're a very naughty boy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dearie me! So, um, so let's go through what we got coming up on the show. And I've got. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the competition that I announced last week and didn't didn't announce a closing date of as well. I'm going to talk about that before we go into the main bit of the show, just because it's probably better to to give a closing date for a competition um so coming up on the show today we're going to do the usual ramble talk about what we've been up to and i think everyone's been up to a fair bit to be honest with you in terms of middle earth related stuff mine's all work but it's still middle earth related things and then for the main topic today we are going to talk about um talk about the films so not directly tabletop related but i think a a topic that nearly every middle earth fan um tabletop fan would would be interested in anyway i don't think there's many people that play the game just for the game and don't love those films um and it's not really a kind of a which film was best um that, we, that may come up it's going to be a discussion really around sort of why were the hobbit films received different in a, in a different way to the to the lord of the rings films and it's not going to be a hobbit film bash by the way um we all do like those films um even if we don't maybe like them as much as as, as the lord of the rings one well that's my opinion we'll let's see what dan and sam Spoilers. have to say <laughs> um but that's one of the main discussions today um and then just before we kind of head into the break um so the crab and competition so i set up a crab and competition um at the end of the last show i'm not going to repeat it all here if you want to know how to enter the competition you need to go back and listen to the um the end of episode um, nine um but i didn't really set a closing date and i have now and he says saying that now and i've forgotten what i set as well um boom 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 I'm just going to uh, head to Facebook, and uh, it's professional, isn't it? Right. So, yeah, I didn't put a um, a closing date on the competition, which was a bit a bit silly, really. Um, so, some of you might be expecting to hear me announce that today. Um, no, the closing date is the 21st of April. So, you'll at least have all of this show in there as well. We may even have another show afterwards as well before before it's announced. So, just want to give you a bit of an update. Go back and listen to episode nine to find out how to win yourself a set of Forge World Crepin. Anyway, we'll head out to a break now, and we'll join you the other side. In- Incom Gaming, the new centre for tabletop wargaming in Gloucestershire. Visit incomgaming.co.uk for great savings on pre-orders and all your hobby needs. We stock many gaming systems and hobby accessories and can ship to anywhere in the UK. 
market-leading gaming mats from GameMats.eu. Visit the store and check out how to turn your tabletop into a battlefield. Incom Gaming is based in the centre of Cheltenham and offers tables and scenery for casual and organised play with a fully licensed bar. Check out our events page for upcoming events where everyone is welcome. Visit incomgaming.co.uk. Incom Gaming. Come game, shop, drink. Welcome back. It's many meetings. So, who wants to kick us off? I I threw Sam a dummy last time by making out he was going to go second and made him go first. But, Dan, you you can go first this time. So, what what have you been up to since we last recorded? Oh, don't do that to me. Um, Well, actually, first thing I'd like to touch on, 10 episodes. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, ten episodes. We made it this far, and we still have people listening to us. In fact, asking for more. <laughs> I don't know whether that's a sign of the times—the uh, the mass hysteria caused by the current global situation, or we're producing good content. Let Pro- us know. Probably, <laughs> probably neither. To be honest with you, apparently, po- I don't mean just this—I don't mean this show—but apparently, podcast listens in general are down at the moment. But I suppose that makes sense. So many people listen to podcasts while commuting and um, and, and not being around their families and things. So it's probably quite hard. I know I've, my podcast list is is long, and usually I run out of them. So I mine are mounting up because I've not had so much time to actually kind of get away and listen to them so it'll be interesting to know people whether people are getting to listen to us or not but anyway back to you oh silky proper segue there mm. what have i been up to um i have been listening to podcasts <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i obviously um there's numerous uh podcasts have dropped recently uh the uh, cavalry maths episode of green dragon which i very much enjoyed didn't see the uh, goat riders anywhere near as high as i wanted to but some very good reasons for them not to be um Harry released his uh, latest from uh, Enmu, Battle Games in Middle-Earth, which I, uh, again, enjoyed. It was, it was good. Um, he did touch upon the strange times we're in. And, uh, yeah, as he touched upon, it's going to be a bit more interesting for those who are a bit more tournament-minded to have their content. So the fact he's putting in some awesome new stuff to you know, plug a few gaps mm. is, is great. I'm looking forward to see what he does with that. Um, and then... Lots of other uh, podcasts that have uh, sort of kicked off as well. Um, uh, Adam uh, Buxton has started up again, which is interesting. So yeah, I've listened uh, to been those. enjoying that. Good. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. If you're into uh, podcasts and it's not hobby related, I would recommend that one. Um, probably skip the COVID nineteen one though. It's played out a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's an awful lot of that popping up on my uh, on my podcast uh, list and stuff at the moment, and I'm removing those i don't need that misery in my life um but i have been doing some painting uh some may have seen the uh chariot my iron hills chariot has been done i should no longer get uh the uh stink eye off the other half uh, not having that painted since christmas she's not here to give me it but at the moment but uh <laughs> it put me in the good book so um she keeps facetiming you to uh, ask you whether you've painted the, the models to be fair having your other half you know suggesting you should paint stuff is a good place to be not everyone has that luxury. There is that. Um, I suppose it stops me irritating her, doesn't it? Um, You've done a cracking job yeah, of it as well. That. Before we move on, before Thank we skim you. past it, it looks awesome. A really, really good Thank job. you. Um, it actually uh, matches up with the rest of it, which is good, because it's been a little bit of a gap. And after you painted numerous things afterwards, you look at it and go, how the hell did I do that last time? Yeah, I oh. like that. And, and, I leave, and I take notes as well and stuff, and I still, still can't remember why I do it. No, it all ended up in the right way. Um, I forgot how much I hated individually highlighting wood grain. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was 
yeah, that was a mistake. I did that on the uh, ballista, and I thought, yeah, no worries, I'll do it with the chariot. No, no, there won't be a second chariot, and there won't be a second ballista. It's not <laughs> an effort to be uh, more, you know, uh, easily accepted at uh, tournaments and stuff. No, no, it's just because I can't be bothered to do that again. I do, no it, I do it in a different way now, depending on, depending on what style I'm going for, but... Oh, you use the airbrush a lot and build up layers so it's so you get to a, you, you're adding light um and then i seal it and then you go back with um um glaze contrast at the moment and so that adds in your shadow in the, in, the, in all the gaps um and then oh, you don't need that, to do as it... much of the um the, but if you go higher than you heavier than you think with your airbrush sort of much brighter than you need to on your airbrush highlights once you go back and, and add that that almost wash really but you heavily diluted and you and you're kind of moving off the flat areas and it's just going into the grain as long as the model's up to scratch in terms of modern enough so it's picking up the detail and you obviously get that with forge world you get really nice finish without having to too much go in and, and paint all of those in so you'd be surprised how well that works obviously if you depending on what level you're finishing at, if you want to go super high level then you you may want to go back and, and still paint those in anyway but definitely worth a go anyway uh, i just uh, I, I just uh, hate myself obviously but um, <laughs> to, i mean to be fair i did actually uh, i do a lot of the preliminary shading and stuff and putting the colors in with the airbrush yeah and then i do hit it with oils um to really sort of use the uh, surface tension to get the grain back in, but then it just needs to be pushed back up again a bit afterwards. Yeah, so yeah. then I'll go back in and highlight just to pick up areas. Yeah, but, contrast, uh, is, a lot contrast of... is king with those kind of things, and you almost have to, I find, to really be able to do it without having to go back too much. You really have to overly push it with your, with your airbrushing. But anyway, that's just for tabletop stuff. That's not... That's oh, yeah. Um, to be fair, I've still not even touched contrast, and um, I, it keeps put on the list. Um, that's the second time today someone's uh, given a good example of uh, how to use it i just um, use them as glazes i made the browns i've not used what any of the browns that aren't brilliant really really good great on doing leathers and things like that but um well it's like um rubberized ribbing on pipes i was um, uh-huh. talking to um nick who is uh, a krieger 40k on instagram some people undoubtedly follow him everyone in the world appears to <laughs> um he's um working on terrain and stuff at the moment and we we're discussing but different bits and pieces and uh i use sort of just thin down black paint yeah, and so that that covers, and you still get a little bit of a texture of the original coverings and stuff coming through. And he's, he said contrast, and I thought, yeah, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I end up sealing down with uh, varnish in the end anyway, a bit of matte. So yeah, there's no reason why I couldn't do that. So that they're going to be my thing for when GW resumes service to to get on the old uh, contrast and try some of that out. Uh, but um, yeah, I do got my chariot done. I'll digress. Um, I have been painting other things. Uh, some people may have seen. I've been painting teeny tiny robots, which are also massive robots, scale being important. Um, <laughs> but I've been putting them off for 18 months, so I decided to get those done. Um, and apart from that, I've been doing sort of a fair bit of reading uh, on audio booking. So um, we mentioned, obviously, that the latest Horus Heresy came out, uh, Saturnine, but I got through that, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then I've just been um, tapping up sort of some old classics like uh, Gotrek and Felix for those who've uh, been reading Black Library. And I've been re-listening to the Phil Dragash audio of Lord of the Rings, ah. which I forgot just how good that is. It's um, good to, you know, listen to while I've been painting, etc. And I watched the original classic Lord of the Rings uh, animation movie. Yep, I've done wow. that in the last the... fortnight with Jacob, actually. One. It's, it's good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I was probably... 
my introduction to Lord of the Rings. Hobbit was my introduction to sort of Middle Earth, and my mum my read that to me when I was quite young. But I think I then progressed to the to that to the um, to the animation film, um, the, the Bashki one. And it's um, yeah, it's a bit when as a kid, it's a bit weird. Obviously, it's a bit psychedelic in places, but it's really really good. And I've got the um, I think they called it photo book back then, but it's basically like a, a graphic novel of the of the film with um speech bubbles and, and stuff put in um oh nice so, so that's that's a really old book that's always dates from the 70s so that's really cool as well but my mum used to own it, it and i've got that now it's really cool psychedelics the right word i think um the the love of the halfling leaf had addled their minds when they were doing that it was very weird um sort of a clash of different styles and stuff very very odd well, he's done some but, other yeah. weird stuff bashki hasn't he so some of his other things he did was a little bit little bit out there and then he did what was it the there's a comedy cat like an adult ca- cartoon but long before your um oh your, yeah, yeah symptoms was... was it felix the cat or something? I can't remember. yeah it was, it was felix yeah, yeah so that, um, was, that was i remember my mum had that on vhs when i was a kid which i wasn't allowed to watch and it was like rated 18 and that this is back in the back in the 80s this is long before we've oh we a bit had, of ankle <laughs> <laughs> it was long before we had um like Simpsons and like South Park and all that kind of stuff that were kind of we grew up watching as uh, well I say grow up but really that would be quite bad but you know it's quite standard to have that kind of adult aimed cartoon thing there with adult jokes in I'm not sure that was very common back then so I think I was 11 when South Park came out just to give some people an idea <laughs> oh, of God. I mean but the, <laughs> South Park's older than you think it is though it's... yeah I suppose the Simpsons is as well but it, but even before that kind of that kind of thing there's there there weren't so many oh people are going to message in now with lists of all these other um comedy cartoons that are aimed at adults but oh paradise pd is my current bizarre film bizarre but um yeah on a very quick google um i i would have been nine when south park came out (laughs) oh my son (laughs) (laughs) right that's it over go record something else (laughs) I'm not even going to get involved in this part of the conversation. We'll, we'll just leave that. Yeah, well, that's fair. But um, yeah, I've been keeping myself busy during these uh, trying and testing times. Obviously, um, it would be a bit false of us not to talk about. Uh, obviously, we've all been stuck at home, so uh, whatever can get you by past the time. We're doing a lot of cooking, which is good. Um, generally, we've just been trying to keep ourselves chipper. I've been avoiding the news as much as possible, if I'm honest with you. And uh, making my once weekly uh, trips to the supermarket, which is a bit... I've always been into my dystopian uh, post-apocalyptic <laughs> movies and source materials, and it's not half like it, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and to be fair, Peterborough is pretty backward as it is. So it's, yeah, it's very um, League of Gentlemen at the moment. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, it's quite definitely interesting. Definitely interesting. Interesting times we live in. But yeah, so it's been good. So we throw one out to you there, Steve. You go next. Ooh, um, so what am I up to? Um, yeah, I suppose, unlike you, I do keep up with the news and things. I quite enjoy it. Um, so I, 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 if anything, I'm doing more news watching now than I would normally do. But um, it's, uh, I, I fully respect why you would want to avoid it as well. We all do what we kind of makes us feel more comfortable in these things. So I'm watching a lot more news, listening to even more podcasts of, of a political nature at the moment because those things... <laughs> keep me interested but um supermarket's not been too bad when i went wasn't too bad um wasn't much in it but it wasn't anyway i wasn't 
wasn't too crazy. It is, it is weird when you go out for a drive at the moment to the supermarket and the roads are empty and the tumbleweeds rolling across and and the, and the people that serve you at the counter are behind big glass shields. It does just feel a bit strange. But um, other than that, life's been fairly normal because I work from home anyway. The biggest the biggest distraction is having the, the kids around and trying to homeschool and um, my wife do a bit of work while I do a little bit of work. So that's, that's been the, the big change. It's just not being on my own in the house really to get on with things so but other than that it's not been too bad the sun's been out been in, in the garden we live right by um i live in an area called cooper's edge in gloucester and it's literally on the edge of of a hill called cooper's hill it's where the one where they roll the cheese down um and it's right on the edge of the city as well <laughs> if anyone knows the cheese rolling thing they'll uh uk recommended on your own garden yeah be uh, great <laughs> So we, we were almost literally on the edge. We're a one-minute walk from a bridle path, so we're quite lucky, really. I know some people live in, in flats and things or in city centres. This will be a lot harder on them, so we can actually um, sort of walk onto a bridle path and then walk along the edge of the fields and stuff. We've not gone up into the hill. We could do, though. Um, we could probably get up to the top of the small hill ne- next to it and back down within within an hour, which I think is about the kind of limit, really, what you're supposed to be out walking around and doing. But So I am very lucky here that I'm sort of locked in with my family in a fairly quiet and residential area um and when you're when you're here it doesn't feel too all too different really but but aside from the political and the world where we're going on i've just been working working as normal just a little bit slower i think i don't know if i talked about it much on the last show but i've recently finished a big mordor commission and sent that off to america and that got to him fine during these times so that's good um i'll share that on our on all of our social media and then today, actually finished off a Dunland commission, which has also got to go off to America. So I'll be booking that and getting that sent off tomorrow. Um, yeah, and I've posted pictures up tonight. So um, that's loads of fun, to be honest with you. Loads and loads. The, the new hero sculpts are absolutely beautiful. Really, really fun to paint. Really easy to, to paint as well. The detail's so, um, so crisp and fresh. Um, I did a part of the commission i did a there's a thriden as well and that's quite an old model and wasn't quite as enjoyable to paint I was painting in detail on places on that where it when it wasn't really or um the the the, the standard and the change in the years between the, the sculpts and what we get now is just incredible we are very very lucky um but um yeah really enjoyed those models really really do. it makes me want to go and do some more so maybe i'll have to purchase my, some myself to ally with my box of isengard um what else have I been doing, Lord of the Rings wise? I think I already mentioned I watched the, the animated with with Jacob, um, and that's pretty much it, really. Um, so I've not really done any of my own personal hobby because of I've been losing my own work time to the evenings at the moment. That should settle down in a couple of weeks, hopefully, and I start to get a little bit more hobby time back in. Um, I've nearly moved. I think I said last year I was moving rooms around in my house. Really exciting. Um, the my new office is ready to go upstairs now. So tomorrow I start moving my stuff up there. Um, so it'll be all my shelves with all my books and models and things on. We'll go tomorrow. I'm waiting for a tabletop to arrive for my new larger desk. As soon as that arrives, I'll move my painting desk up there. But it's won't be able to do that until it arrives. Otherwise, I won't be able to work, which would be a bit stupid. Um, <laughs> but that's it, really. Um, what about yourself, Sam? Uh, mine's all compressed within the last 48 to 72 hours. Uh, I managed to uh, get most of my Isengard force tabletop. Uh, it still needs a little bit of work doing on the bases, but in terms of having an army that I can put on the tabletop now, I think I've got nearly a thousand points 
Wow. Definitely a thousand if you include Saruman and Grimmer, but they're not done yet. Um, in fact, I think the only things that I've got left to do are Saruman, Grimmer, um, I've got an uh, Uruk High Drama, and I've got my Ballista to finish painting. So You smashed through so, yeah, it. You, when did you start it? It was yesterday, wasn't it? Or was it today? I, don't know. I feel like it was today, yesterday, wasn't it? But... I don't know. Or did you just share the first pictures with us today? I shared. I honestly can't remember. I tell you what, all the days are blending into one at the moment. I definitely <laughs> did it within the last three days, or at least started it. Um, I airbrushed it about six months ago, and then over the last couple of days, basically went through and smashed out, picked out all the little details that needed to be picked out, and did all the skin. And yeah, it looks <laughs> great. Though. Top. Yeah, it's great. But Thanks. now you've got you've got another pretty much fully painted army ready to go and ready to go at some point for that big game we're going to do later in the year once I've built the Helm's Deep I might start that next week now now I've caught up with work a little bit um, but yeah so I've I've got Grimmer and Saruman which I'm going to do as my sort of well done for getting this far and then um, the Urukai drummer and the Ballista for some reason I didn't spray those six months ago so they need to be done so I'm going to do those two pieces uh, at the same time just so that there's something that looks the same in the army but yeah I'm going to do Saruman and Grimmer just to sort of do something a little bit different other than uh, Citadel Dark Flesh with varying degrees of really rusty metal nice now they did it really 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 cool you'll be able to sit and have some games by yourself at home now but if I your rooks against you <laughs> against your hobbits I feel like that's a very one-sided game. <laughs> There's only one of you. You'll always be there. Corks. <laughs> oh, as well, with my dice rolling, it would be the longest-running game ever because nothing, will, either everything will die or nothing will die. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, I think, I think, yeah, you should, um, I think you should film it just so everyone can see what your dice rolling is like. One hour... 374 of Isengard versus the Shire and <laughs> Isengard aren't hitting and the Shire aren't hitting uh, back to the studio <laughs> social media's longest running serial <laughs> you've given up rolling priority because you just roll one every time anyway so he's just taking him turns <laughs> everyone keeps tying <laughs> um, but yeah the simple simple colour palette and I discussed it when we did our painting episode um, my metal scheme is very much the same it just varies on how much of certain colors uh, go into it and the sort of the, the highlights the top end of the highlights from my metal scheme didn't go into it but decayed metal and uh, black metal is it that's the scale 75 like yep. the darker yeah um so decayed metal uh black metal and uh, i want to say heavy metal that's like the lighter just one. Yeah. the smallest amount of that went in but it's a lot of decayed metals so there's a lot of that tin bits mixed with bolt gun metal sort of look on yeah. on them as well so, no then, speed metal <laughs> no speed metal whatsoever um and then for the um like the scouts and stuff it's just varying rhinox uh rhinox hide and steel legion drab just sort of sprayed roughly about and then doing the flesh was actually probably one of the easiest ones to do just using the old citadel uh I don't even think it's called Dark Flesh, but that's what I know it as from the old days. 
Yeah, I don't know what it's called nowadays, but it's dark flesh to me as well. So. Yeah. It's like a weird colour because it doesn't look like the Urukai skin colour, but it's what I know the Urukai paint scheme colour from the early <laughs> 2000s to be. Well, you, it just works really well, so I just went with it. You have to pick something that works, don't you? I think we talked about this a little bit on the painting episode that you can you can try and make something look ultra realistic. So you look at the pictures in the from the film, or you know, you look at stills, and it, sometimes the skin is almost black and shiny and wet and stuff. But you you can't really replicate that very well, especially for an, in an army kind of sense. So you have to give something that is a approximation of it that on the tabletop that people look at it and go that was brilliant it's just like what your should do but then when you actually compare it to what they actually look like it doesn't necessarily match but it, it tricks the eye and, and, and gives that feeling of what they should do rather than being the exact match otherwise it'd just be so dark and dreary you wouldn't be able to pick up any of the detail it's the scale isn't it you, you've got to work with the scale which means you have to change things to so it works if you're mm. ma- if you're making a prosthetic you you make it one-to-one realistic don't you and you have to adjust your own painting and the color choices you make for the for the the scale of the miniature Mm. and uh i wanted a color that was going to be very different from the browns of like their um tabards and their sort of the scout because the scouts don't really have much armor on them they've just got a little bit on the uh sort of abdominal area and then the rest of it's just Exactly, like leather. So it's all leather, so isn't wanted... it? It's, it's very yeah. yeah. You, you got that problem, don't you? You think, right? Well, I've done the brown for the skin. Right, leather. Oh God, that's my leather recipe as well. How am I gonna? How am I gonna kind of yeah. make them look? And so you end up making it lighter, so it stands out. So it's it's quite hard to to get that right sometimes. But yeah, I think mm. um, well, that, style that that dark flesh well. color that has, has the sort of like an it's almost like an orange to it. Uh-huh. So it just worked really well for across the army. So so yeah, there'll probably be a few um, shrubs and dried um dried reeds and stuff on the bases but in terms of having them ready so that i can take them to a game yeah i'm happy with them yeah they look great and by the time you can game you'll probably have them fully done with duffs and bits anyway i imagine i think basically a, a thousand points of good and a thousand points of bad now so i'm happy that's really really good and i suppose with um we'll talk about this in the news in a moment but with um, announcements of what might be coming in the future It'd be right up your alley for um, in terms of an era for something to to fight them, especially if you your alerts type stuff. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. You've got your fellowship painted already, haven't you? So you've actually got you. You say you've got two armies. You've, you've got more, haven't you? Because yeah, a fellowship think, is an army. I think the fellowship comes close to nine hundred points, a thousand points, anyway, doesn't it? It does. I wonder. I wonder if there will be a legendary legion based on the fellowship. Mm. Could be, could be. Might make sense for that. But anyway, we'll talk about that in a moment. So, have you got anything else you want to cover for you? What you've been up to? All your plans and things? No. Want to no, just, off just, just got Saruman and Grimmer to do. <laughs> Are you, and then that, that's about it. They were. You, you, it's the metal sculpts, isn't it? They're really nice. Yeah. I didn't realise how nice did. those ones were until so I bought. I said I said on the last show that I bought a bit of a bundle online and they had the metal metal ones in there. And I didn't mean I'd, I'd already planned on buying the plastics because they're beautiful. But so I had, a, I had a quick look at the metals, thinking I probably won't use these. But they're really really good. The the foot one and the and the greamer were just really 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 nice. Really really nice in their own yeah. sense. Anyway, so I think they've aged they're, well. Um, they're one of the two. They're, they're one of the few ones where the plastic sculpt is fantastic. But the metal sculpt isn't isn't a horrible. It's not like AMA plastic versus <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like 
if you get what I mean. Whereas these ones actually, they look very beautiful. The poses are good, and they're a perfect pose for what they do in uh-huh. the armies as well. Yeah, totally agree. Totally and they're agree. not sort of combat ready models. There, Saruman leaning on his staff, and Grimmer just sort of, I believe he's wiping his mouth with the little tissue. Yes, yes, I think that's what he bit his lip or whatever. He got a boo boo. <laughs> so. I think we've 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 kind of mini segued enough, so let's talk about news a little bit. So, um, so we've had two two kind of preview Saturdays, haven't we, on on Twitch? So, um, so Dan, wouldn't you? Uh, what do we have on the first the first preview weekend? What was what was announced? If we're just talking about uh, Middle Earth, then we had Aima, the very beautiful uh, Aima sculpt, which the face sculpt on that is still absolutely blow me away yeah. for 25 mil true scale that's just daft it's so good yeah I'm, I'm quite excited i mean we don't know when we'll be able to buy it with the current situation but um yeah i would be looking to pick him up straight away i've got my rohan under the under the desk as my next proper painting project and um he will be i'm glad i didn't go and buy a metal one because <laughs> uh because he'd never be seen paint um so yeah very much looking forward to that um and that was all of the middle earth and week one wasn't it of the previews yes i do believe so and then it's sunday the fifth as we're recording this so yesterday on the fourth we had the second previews and um so what do we have then new book which is uh the ring bearer uh and i always forget which the full title is so i'm gonna get shouted at but um yes is it journey of the ring bearer the ring bearer bearer. it has frodo on the front um it looks cool it looks really cool um i'm excited to see what legendary legions and uh characters are in that i'm excited to see which scenarios exactly are in that but apparently there's an awful lot of them it's almost as if we knew what was coming we're talking about um certain scenarios that could do be redone or republished um yes part of those that saga which is pretty awesome i'd I'd stage and sort of stake a reasonable amount of my uh whatever i'm earning at the moment on uh there being a really good am on him one in there i think that'd be awesome i would imagine so definitely i'd be surprised if there wasn't because we were talking about it a few shows ago when we about what the next book might be and i mentioned a thread on the gbhl and they're talking about I think Matt Davis would talk about alternative fellowship era stuff. And I was saying that I thought it might be a fellowship book um, because it would finish off the film stuff. And this is quite clever, really, isn't it? So it's not a fellowship book as such, but by following the path of the ring bearer, then you can you can tick a few tick a lot of boxes, can't you, in one go? So rather than just sort of running out of fellowship type scenarios, you can do the I mean, we don't know what's in there, but I'm assuming they'll have some some early stuff. I'm assuming there'll be some stuff leaving the Shire and um, like you said, Amon Hem maybe, and it also takes it up into the to, through the whole period of all three films doesn't it, so um, it's a perfect way of ticking the boxes, almost with those three books, if you if you disclude the Shire, Shire the, the, the Scouring, those three books cover the major plot points of the films, don't they so you've got it all, mm. all done, which is just brilliant, I'm not saying that's complete and there aren't other things that could be done, but um, yeah, so when we were all making guesses, and I think I was saying it would be great to have some sort of fellowship-style scenarios, those, I'm assuming, will be covered. So, didn't quite guess it, but 
wasn't, wasn't too too far off actually it was very really cool i'm really excited by it i quite like the idea that it's going to be very narrative focused to this um is it 26 or 28 28 narrative scenarios in it um and there's six new legendary legions so we can start guessing what those legendary legions will be um I'm, I don't know what the fellowship add up to, but obviously if they don't add up to a thousand, I wonder if there will be a legendary legion that, that allows them all to sort of squeeze in at a thousand. Um, I'm just trying to work it out now because mine was five hundred with six of nine. Gandalf is about a hundred and seventy-five. Frodo is sixty, and Sam is forty. So. This is something that most people, or a lot of people listening to this will know the answer to. I've never really looked at the Fellowship in terms of uh, gaming-wise. So I've never really looked at the points. I think if you fully kit them out, it comes to 900. Uh-huh. Maybe even 1,000. Because Aragorn, by himself, if you give him everything, is quite pricey. Yeah. It depends whether you want to go down the uh, film or book route, isn't it, with um, Andural or not. So... They might have that flexibility. Um, it's going to be cool anyway. I wonder if there'll be something based on that, or even just a break in the Fellowship, Legend Legion, or something like that. I reckon um, the nine will be in there. Yeah, that that's a. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. That would be really cool. Why people want to run them? I mean, we have people for Flotsman Jetsam doing some kind of army list based out of those, so it would seem like a low hanging fruit with things that people would want. Are they going to use it as an example to a way to get some some elves in there? I wonder. Are we going to see some um, way of elves with the fellowship or something, or just some kind of Rivendell force? Who knows? There might there might might be a way of doing something with with Rivendell and Lothlorien, I suppose. I suppose we'll see a new Ranger one, given they've got new models. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those will come on Lovely to that models. in a second. But yeah, I think you're right there. I think um, we'll definitely see some kind of ranger based one um, um, what else could there be because this is spanning all the films you, mm. you could have and good and evil I reckon the um, yeah. the force from why is the name escaped me basically the uh, the keep where Frodo is held where they mm. have a big scrap and then Sam goes in and clears Ooh. up yeah Yes. Yeah, so that would make sense because you've got a you have sort of a legendary legion with it's got a mix, isn't it? So you're going to have Mordor rooks and things there as well. That could be quite cool. Could There's be, all sorts of yeah, oh, loads, yeah, loads of ideas. Maybe with something with Shalob in as well. Maybe she'd be in that legendary legion. Um, you could argue that because the orcs are there, leaving her a prey and the that she could end up being in that list or something. There's so many things you could do. Obviously, lots more than six. There's so many ideas. Um, Given the way she's changed as well um, with the allies matrix and stuff, it might be a good way of still including her to take her to events. So yeah, that could that, be something they've thought of. So that might work, I suppose, as well. It's, it's difficult to know where, because obviously Legend of Legions, they'll be, they will be themey, but there'll also be an idea with making you know, the whole point of them is to make them work for match play as well. So... Yeah, Maybe covering some of the gaps where they've now been created by the changes uh, in order to enable people to still use their collections in the way they have been previously. Yeah, and just giving some of the factions that have not seen the extra love yet with like, the extra new character here and there um, might be a way of doing it as well, sort of bringing them to the, to the party, so to speak. Um, I'm just trying to think what it would be. But there's there's some there's lots of options there. Really looking forward to it. Lots of really cool narrative scenarios that maybe some of them you can the play f- with not massive... Um, 
um, amount of models as well, especially fellowship-based ones at the beginning. Some really, you know, almost harking back to those sort of early days of the first box when you're trying to play games with the hobbits, really, um, Buckleberry Ferry, that kind of stuff. It could be really... Yeah, Ford's that Bruin kind of and that kind of thing. It's going to be there, isn't it? I'd be really surprised if it's... Surprising if those kind of pretty basic things are. Maybe there'll be something in... Um, Gandalf uh, or Weathertop would be pretty cool as well. Well, yeah, but, but you'd imagine Weathertop would be there, wouldn't you? Um, well, with the Gandalf, because he was there previously, previously a couple of days before the yep. uh, and they linked, fellowship. Uh, they're, all linked, they're going to be linked, aren't they? I imagine, like they were in the previous books. Yeah. Really, really excited for it, and it feels like it's a book that's kind of there for book and film fans as much as those that want to pick it up for match play, so to speak. Cause it's... The Fantasy Fellowship could be a, a really good laugh as well. I mean, yes, really interested yes. to see how that works. Um, I think it'd be quite a good thing for us to do, to, to create our own Fantasy Fellowships and, uh, you know, see what people think of those. Uh-huh, yeah. I forgot. Where, where was that mentioned? Was that mentioned on uh, It was mentioned yesterday. It definitely was mentioned on the stream. Talking about, um, yeah, I knew I heard it on the yeah, on, I uh, stream. Yeah, uh, Adam was talking about that, so I thought that. Could... Oh yeah, the idea of sending different, the different mm. people that went as delegations to the uh, the Council of Elrond, and whether different people would have been selected, what it would have been like, it would have been interesting. So um, yeah, I, I, it's, the the book looks fantastic. Also, we don't know when it's going to be out, and quite rightly, they're not going to mention any dates at the moment. Um, and then there was yeah, there was two models announced as well. Um, did they say they were forged? Well, they look. Look like a, it looks Forge World to me. It looks like your your pretty typical sort of hero pack that you're getting from Forge World at the moment, like we've seen recently. I don't know if they actually said, but I've I've just assumed. In fairness, I'm just looking at the sculpts, and I just yeah, I can't see why you'd make those in plastic either. It would seem a strange thing. So I'm going to assume Forge World. So it's Angbor and Angborn, sorry, and uh, Mablung. Um, so two two ranger heroes. So that's yeah, that's there's going to be a there's got to be a ranger, Ledridly, like you said, to, just to get the get them in the list would be really really cool. It's going to make me want to do rangers. <laughs> Those models are beautiful, aren't they? Yeah, yeah I, I've really been great. thinking about Mordor as well with Gothmog crossing the uh, river of Osgiliath. So perhaps that's going to be one of the scenarios in there. Okay, Frodo was present. Oh, he was, wasn't he? Sort of at the very beginning of it. Is that in? Isn't that in... Obviously, they didn't cross until uh, later in uh, Return of the King. Is it in Gondor War, though, that scenario? No. They've, they've got one where the orcs come over, but I think what Dan's getting at is the point of like uh, the orcs coming over whilst Frodo's trying to escape. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, sort of that kind of thing. Or, um, you know, the actual fight where, you know, spoilers... <laughs> Been a while since these films have come out. Um, obviously, Gothmog does do for one of them, doesn't he? Time of the Orc has begun. Seen mm. the many memes. Yeah. Um, you never know. But that's yeah. That's just that's the battle of Osgiliath, isn't it? That part. Yeah. So yeah, it might be in there as well. I'm just sure. I wonder if that was part of the. I know they've got Osgiliath scenarios in there. I've not got the book in reach of me at the moment. Um, but you could have the. I suppose you have the bit where. Um, with the is it the Witch King or just another Wraith appears uh, on the unnamed walls. Wraith three yeah. appears uh, on, the, on the walls and Frodo stands up and he's gonna he's just about to put the ring on isn't he and Sam pulls him down yeah and a big turkey tries to bite him so that that it could that could be in there so yeah they, they, I suppose they're all interwoven aren't they so um but loads and loads of 
possibilities but i'm looking i'm looking for looking forward to maybe some smaller some lower model count kind of scenarios you know, so you got your, your Shalob and your, your Sam and, and and Frodo. So things that maybe play on you can play on smaller tables. Really, kind of very that narrow. two by two thing that you saw in the Shire. Yes, lots of really cool stuff like that. Would just be really fun to to play. The kind of things that you want to get you. You know, if you've got a kid like I have who seen the films, that you can introduce them to the game, playing those scenarios when you're reenacting it as well. Especially as they're quite often weighted to work like they do in the films. You can almost put the the new player in charge of the side that's going to win as well, can't you? When you're introducing them to the game that way, so it's another way of kind of it's a completely different way of kind of game, and you forget that match play thing out of your head. Um, um, yeah, really, really excited for this book. Really, really excited for it. Um, it could be pretty cool for the summer actually as well. You know, if you only need two by two, you can play out in the garden in the evening. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, I quite like the idea of that. Or it's yeah, you know, it's the kind of. Th- scenarios like that are great to play the in the evenings for events aren't they you can almost if you've got events where you have a like it like at income so um when we if i get to do the event next year when the pub's not open you know the kind of you stick around for evening gaming i think i mentioned that on the last show we're looking at doing something like that if i could it'd be great to kind of encourage people to play those kind of scenarios in the evening with a beer in hand sort of stuff so yeah really really good I'm not thinking past the curry at the moment. Seems to come down. <laughs> uh, dear. Right. Well, I think there weren't. There wasn't any other news that I've not forget. That I forgot to mention. I mean, it's, that's a lot. I'm not saying it's not much. We've um, we talked about it. A couple, it was the last show we talked about people. We're going to find out stuff that would have been at the the conventions, and that's what we are now. And I think, I think they, I think Eddie Eccles said when he was talking about one of the other systems that. That what they've mentioned so far was only really touching half on, of yeah, half of what would have been at Adepticon because it would be too much just to kind of release on those things. So, um, and there's not one this coming Saturday, but the one after. So now we'll get some more, and then I'm assuming that we'll get some more after, you know, in May time when after Fest, Fest would have, have been. been. So mm. there's going to be a lot of stuff. I mean, at some you know, at some point they may hold stuff back that we would have known just because it would be too much information with that. If we haven't been able to have the models, if that makes sense, if they're if they're releasing, we don't know when this book was supposed to be out. If there was a release, the book was supposed to be out, maybe at Fest, or the White Dwarf book was supposed to be out at Fest. I don't know what the what the dates were supposed to be, but at some point they may not tell us stuff that they would have done because there's too much information of stuff that's not out. If that makes sense, does that make sense? I'm very yeah, rambling. Yeah, it gets muddy. Yeah, so it, we might end up finding stuff out a bit later than we would have done, just because we'll be like, we, yeah, we don't. We, if they were going to announce at Fest, for example, stuff that was might be or show us snippets of stuff they're working on for later in the year, they might not. We might not get that kind of info now, just because otherwise you'll be, you don't want to know. We already know there's two books coming that we can't buy yet, so they, they probably wouldn't tell us about any more if they got other stuff planned later in the year. So, who knows? We should just have to wait and see. But I am very excited about what we've, um, what we got coming. And, and those models are painted, aren't they? I haven't mentioned that. So those models are painted. The pictures of um, Angbor and Mablung, which normally means that when they paint them, they kind of tend to release them within three months. That might change because of what's going on, but that says to me that they. That that's not probably not aimed wasn't originally aimed to be a Christmas release or something that was probably uh, probably designed to come a bit before again guessing you, know, you never know though um, the way they sometimes work it, it could mean that uh, they just shunt up the um, the gaps between them yeah well they put something else off. they'll you either, never know they'll either have to push stuff into next year and hold it back or they'll end up 
you know, with I guess that rather than being like a Middle Earth release weekend and then Necromunda the week after, we might see a lot of double releases, um, which in some ways probably not as good for them as a business thing for people that play multiple systems. But um, if they've got the stuff ready to go, um, rather than put the whole business back, they might just have to do that. But if it means if stuff's pushed back naturally because of production, um, then it might just naturally get pushed back anyway. Like we, I think we said in the last show, I've got so many projects to be getting on with. I'm really excited by these, but I'm also very happy with what I've got to work with at the moment. So I'm not feeling at all frustrated with it at all. It's, um, it's really, I'm glad they're telling us stuff. It's a really nice way of keeping us engaged, I think. It's a good, they did a good job of it. So. See, I'm in a different place to you. I've pretty much run out of uh, love stuff to do. That's, that's not good. That's not good. I've got a few elves, which I can, can't even begin to tell you how little I want to paint them. <laughs> and I've got... Well, he's another elf, isn't he? I've got, mm. I've got uh, uh, Thrandril. Well, that'll be, that'll be fun. You could just yeah, I'm gonna get, spend, a lot of time, spend a lot of time on him. That would be really cool. You can you can do a, like a really long project on that. That would be something nice to do. And you were worried that when you, but before you know, we looking at positives. I remember you saying that you know you really wanted to do him, but because of commitments for upcoming events and stuff, you're not sure when you're going to have chance to. So yeah, maybe double-edged sword on that one. This is very obvious. I don't need now. <laughs> yeah, but you will need them again in the future. So once those armies are done, oh, they're yeah. done. You don't. They weren't one-use armies, were they? So you will get to use them. And, but maybe it's the opportunity to actually sit and really enjoy kind of just putting hours and hours and hours into a really, really beautiful display level model or something like that. I don't know. I wish I could on my with my uh, obsession with like, doing many, many army projects at the moment. I'm like, <laughs> it's going to be a while off, but uh, I need to, uh, need to spend some, some time away from my kids to, to, to be able to get these things done. Though I'm moving up one floor, so I will uh, be further away from them when I'm working, so maybe I'll get a bit more peace and quiet. Um, right, I think we've um, I think we've discussed all the all of what we've been up to and the new releases. Um, let's uh, let's go for a break, and when we come back, we'll uh, we'll talk all about the films. The hour grows late, and bland of grey plastic comes seeking my counsel. You are sure of this, bland elf? Yes, the event is fully painted. It was in the event pack, under my nose the whole time. Yet you did not have the wit to see it. Your love for the Facebook group has slowed your mind. We must join him, Blandalf. The commission painter, we must be fully painted. When did Surly Man the White give in to madness? But I am now Surly Man of many colours. Miniature Realm Studio is a commission painting service. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or contact us directly at miniaturerealmstudio at gmail.com. You have elected the way of paint. And we're back. And today we're going to discuss the films in the Council of Elrond. So I'm not jokingly given it the title of one film to rule them all. But we're not really here, I suppose, to discuss which is the best one. Um, though we may pick our favourites and that may come up in the conversation. Um I was more interested in having a bit of a kind of a, a non-angry, open discussion about uh, why the Hobbit trilogy was sort of received differently to to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, I think it's widely considered that that the Hobbit trilogy isn't as good as the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and not everyone will think that. And um, I just wanted to discuss why people thought that was. I mean, we, but we all, all three of us like 
both sets of, of films a lot so it's not a case of bashing one or the other um, I do have my favourites and have my thoughts on it as well but it'd be interesting we thought we'd discuss it so it's going to be a bit meandery I think we'll probably go all over the place um, rather than sort of sort of be reformulaic but um, Sam why don't you sort of kick us off really have you got like a, a an opening kind of um, your opening thoughts on, on the trilogies and which films you like best and, and whether you think they were different and, and why you thought they were different um, yeah, sure. So I'm going to be completely outlandish and I'm going to give you a six to one on my my least favourite of the films, which I love all of them. I'm going to go from my, uh, the least favourite to my favourite. And you may agree with me, you may not. Some of what I'm about to say may seem completely outlandish considering people know what I like. Um, but number six for me is The Fellowship. Uh-huh. Uh, then... The Desolation of Smaug is number five. Right. Then Hobbit, Unexpected Journey. Yeah. Then uh, Two Towers. Uh-huh. Then Battle of the Five Armies. And then Return of the King. Interesting. Interesting. I've seen people sort of do those lists before, and I've probably not seen that order of preference before, if that makes sense. So it's quite original, no. I'd say. It's because I'm a weirdo. Um, <laughs> I think it's... It's a very. It has to be the extended edition for it to be in that order, right? Okay. Um, Battle of the Five Armies and Return of the King, the top two, and I feel that those films massively benefit the extended editions way more than any of the other films. Yeah, I completely agree. Especially if Battle of the Five Armies almost doesn't work without it being extended, especially the battle mm, scene. At well, the end. I mean. Obviously, Return of the King was so long ago, but I can't remember what isn't in the unextended edition now. So you'd probably feel the same if you watched Return of the King unextended edition. You'd be like, where's that bit? Where's that bit? Yeah. But because it came out so long ago, it's it's probably been erased from memory. But, yeah, um, I haven't watched the theatrical editions of any of them for a very long time, but definitely not the Lord of the Rings ones. And I, I think that sort of goes into the... You're talking about the... Uh, why the Hobbit may be considered the I'm using big quotation marks here in my dining room, but um, the the worst of the two, um, or the not so good version, um, and I think it's generally sort of a lot of the people who think that, and this is a very broad statement, might be because it's very much like that Star Wars thing, yeah, in the sense that when Lord of the Rings came out, there wasn't necessarily as much of the green screening and the sort of computer stuff that they could do with it. And then when it came out, everyone was really upset that, or from where I'd seen, people were upset because they didn't do the same things, like they didn't do the on-location stuff as much. Yeah. And um, I think that sort of tends to be that, let's call it the Jar Jar effect, that people (laughs) are really unhappy about. And I don't know, I, I sort of, I was a young teenager when the lord of the rings came out and i was a fully grown adult when the hobbit came out so they were two very different points in my life um rather than sort of me being an adult when both of them came out or it would be very difficult to be a child when both of them came out but you get that sort of two very different stages of my life and for various reasons both of them being very good and interesting things for that time in my life yeah yeah and 
I love both of them. I, I, I think they're great. I know that's not necessarily that I connect more with Lord of the Rings in terms of story. Um, but in terms of like the being attached to characters, I sometimes feel like I'm more attached to a lot of the uh, the dwarves from Foreign's Company. Like I feel a little bit more attached to some of those characters sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think some of the points you make about obviously they were filmed a long time apart, so the they they, they both had a lot of CGI and green screen in them, but obviously the, the, the Hobbit films relied on that an awful lot more, so that's going to have a big effect on the on the kind of the feel of the film. And I think the original ones are like filmed on twenty four frames per second, and the later ones are like forty eight and three D as well. So it's a very different way of filming. Um, so you're all, you're already before you've done anything else, you're already going to have a bit of a different look and feel to it and visually. Um, even using even while you're using the same kind of costume designers and things, but um, I think that has something to do with it. But, um, what about you, you yourself then, Dan? For like kind of an overview at the beginning, rather than before we get sort of break it down into sort of more detailed chat about it. You see, um, I don't know. Um... I could quite obviously have people throwing stuff at their speakers by the end of this, but uh, <laughs> I actually think they're a dead heat. Uh-huh. I love them both for very different reasons. One thing that I think people, maybe they don't forget. Maybe I'm assuming they forget. I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to make excuses for them or try and explain away the way they feel. There's a, there's a massive gulf of difference in time between the two of them for a start. And the film industry had moved on. A massive amount by then as well um the way things were done the amount of cgi that was in lord of the rings and the way it was done was pre-revolutionary at the time the way they animated the barrel for instance when they talked about creating all these different uh, like flame images and then the way it used to uh, animate around it and coruscate around the frame of the barrel to make it look like it's burning and all that kind of stuff which was covered in some of the um extended edition uh sort of you know the documentaries and stuff yeah it's you know what what was groundbreaking then became one of the mill by the time the hobbit came around and there's a different difference which i think some people jar against um in tone between the two of them the hobbit is a lot brighter uh-huh. but then again the hobbit's a kid's book yeah I totally agree. ultimately i think that's the difference and Lord of the Rings has never been proposed to be high fantasy. I don't think it ever should be, and I don't think. Um, I mean, personally, I, I don't paint things for Lord of the Rings in a high fantasy bent. It's why I struggled a little bit with the Galadrim because they are a bit brighter. Um, so I, I like that they're not high fantasy. I've never got on board with, um, you know, Sam's probably going to keel over. I've never got on board with Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. I've always preferred my uh, my fantasy and indeed my sci-fi quite dark and gritty and a bit, you know. A bit more realistic, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Lord of the Rings, in that respect, sort of ticks that box for you. But there is something about The Hobbit that's very whimsical and, yeah, using the word, but it is appropriate infantile because it's a kid's book. Yeah. But it is good. And I, I like it for that reason. And I really like that it's got a heavily stylized theme that runs throughout the entirety of it. There are some very clashing sort of themes between the two. Um. You know, uh, between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, but I really, really, really like the way The Hobbit is presented. I like the way they styled the weapons on the dwarves, which is, again, very different. If you look at the way Gimli's shown 
and then the way the error board dwarves are shown, there's only supposed to be 50 years difference between the two. I mean, given that dwarf society doesn't appear to move on within 5,000, you know, there's there's a massive jump in difference between the two of them, and I find that quite interesting. Uh-huh. But I really, I really like the way it all comes across for The Hobbit. I'm rambling slightly now. Um, I don't want to get too specific if we're going to touch on them more, but I really don't have a preference between the two trilogies at all. I think they both have their way. I think, as Sam says, you have to watch them in the extended editions. I think The Hobbit is hurt far more by watching it in its theatrical release than Lord of the Rings is. Yeah, I totally agree. I can't say I agree with him um, that The Fellowship's the worst of the six. I actually think it's potentially the best one. Uh-huh. If I were to have to say one of them, I think it the way it's... the tone of it... Maybe this just rose-tinted glasses because, you know, when it first came out, it blew me away. Yeah. But um, I love the way that first film in particular fellowship was presented. There's a there's a real darkness to it. I think it's arguably the most devoid of hope of all of the films. <laughs> yeah, I think you could describe it as that. Um, yeah, I think... I agree with both of you in many sense. I, I find it almost impossible to rank the films. Um, because I like different parts of all of them, I even find it hard to rank scenes and things. I think wasn't there something on um One Ring Dog Net recently? So I don't know if they've finished it yet, but they were like it's almost like a competition between different scenes, and you've got different groups. There's like the comedy scene group, there's the fight scene bit, and you kind of there would be two scenes up against each other, and people vote for it, and the winner goes through to the next round. So you end up with like the ultimate scene from all of the six films or something. But it's they they all do certain so many different things. So I. I don't know. I've, I I couldn't do what, what Sam did and, and, and list them all because I'd do it again a year later and I'd pick them in a different order. Um, I do prefer the Lord of the Rings films, but I absolutely love the Hobbit trilogy as well. And I I think in terms of, you know, to, to sort of pick up a couple of your points, Dan, I didn't really think too much in detail about what the dwarves are wearing and things. I think um, for me that the overall look of the films in terms of costume and stuff for me is is fairly consistent. I think the difference there is because they had to try and make the dwarves characterful. So you've got this deliberate, let's make your key actors who are dwarves not look too dwarvish and wear so much prosthetic. So they, if you watch the 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 kind of the extras, they sort of talk about the, the different iterations of makeup they did and they put too much on and it meant the actors couldn't act very well. It's all right when it's one dwarf in a, in a party of nine, but when, you've, when they're your main characters and they're all wearing prosthetics, you have to... You have to give the actors the ability to act with their faces as well. So they kept scaling back the amount of prosthetics that were on uh, on, on on the main on the main dwarves. So that, I think there's a little bit of difference in styling there. But in terms of the costume and things for the rest of it, for me, it just for me, it I don't it doesn't jar. It just feels like Peter Jackson's Middle Earth, and that for the first point was was huge for me. So it still felt felt like the same Middle Earth that we saw in in the Lord of the Rings films, and I think. The, the major differences in it for me would be the reliance on CG for for, for some of the main characters and things. Um, Azog stands out for me as something that uh, was a little bit jarring. I've got used to it because I've seen it so many times now, but when I first watched it, I kind of wished it was an actor in, in prosthetics rather than, than full CG, whereas I didn't mind Gollum being CG. It worked perfectly, but for me, Azog felt like... It felt like it stood out from the from the the Lord of the Rings styling from the original trilogy more than some of the other things did, um, so that was a little bit of a a bit of, a little bit jarring. But mostly, like you said, they're kids. It's a kids' book, so you 
they do the job. I think Unexpected Journey does it very, very well. Um, but yeah, I think we can. I don't want to get stuck into the kind of which bits I like and which bits I don't like. I think we can say that for a little bit later when we're summing up. But um, let's talk about them. Sort of, you know, let's let's break it down then. So, Lord of the Rings films versus versus the book. What are the main differences that we can think of? Things that were left out and and what reasons there were for it. And then we can kind of do the same for the Hobbit. Because that might kind of give us some avenues to talk about and maybe help us decide why these the films were so different. So. What what kind of things can you think you guys think of that were in the book, but in Lord of the Rings book, but not in the film? The one that, which things were omitted, which are the major things, not all the tiny little bits, which sort of major plots and things were omitted and changed. I'm not going to go with something that was omitted, uh-huh. but I'm going to go with something that I've always considered a bit of a howler, and I've always it the way that the two out two towers ends. Right. Okay. But obviously, in the book, it ends with Sam thinking Frodo's dead because Shelob stung him. Yeah. That would have been a proper cliffhanger, and I think that would have been an amazing piece. Uh-huh. And the fact they changed it has always stuck right in my craw, just because it might upset some people. Uh, okay. Generally, I... people who haven't read the books, so I thought it was a massive fan disservice to change it. Yeah, maybe I hadn't actually occurred to me because they changed because of the way the books and the timelines work in the books. So the way you're leaving one half of the the cast for such a long period of time. Well, with the books, obviously, the Lord of the Rings books are actually split into six books, really, aren't they? Yeah. So you'll go through a whole book where you have nothing to do with Frodo and Sam, and you're with the rest of the party, and then they switch back again. So that wouldn't have worked as a film. You couldn't have gone through half of the two towers and and not been anywhere near. So cutting back between the two story arcs seemed to make sense, and I imagine that's why that was done. And ending with a big battle scene at the end, like Helm's Deep. And that little bit of hope mm. at the end after the battle, I get, I can see why that works as a film that way. You had to depart from the from the structure of the books, um, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's always just stuck with me. I, I just never liked it um, in that regard. Um, yeah, I think that's the that's the major one that's always stuck with me. Obviously, there's different bits and pieces they cut. Yeah. Um, they never really explained the Blades of Westerness, which would have required Tom Bombadil and the Barrow Downs. Now, yeah. I cannot thank them enough for cutting Tom Bombadil out. It's my <laughs> least favourite part of the book. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't miss it at all. I, 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 even uh, the uh, Phil Dragash, that can't rescue it for me. I do fast forward through he, it. He I can't stand it. Oh, really? I thought I, I can... The, the singing in the, um, the the original audio book is quite amusing. I imagine you really enjoy it. Um, but I I, th- I think it would have been very strange to have Tom Bombadil in. And they explained it very well and the, the, why they haven't done it. And it just completely messed with the pacing of the, the films for one reason. Another one would be that his seeming kind of... The, the ring has no power over him at all. I said, you've got a bit of a problem, haven't you? Where you're trying to build the ring up as a, almost as like a character in the films as this all-powerful thing that, that eventually will take control over anyone. And the major difference is that, that these hobbits seem to be a little bit slower to be succumbed to it, and they're the only ones why that it's not turning them evil quite as quickly. So you, it really messes it up, doesn't it, when you walk into a chapter where the, Tom Bombadil picks it up, laughs at it, and gives it back kind of thing. Isn't it? it would just, yeah. it just sort of takes this big arch... Because this, I mean, Sauron. You see him in the in the in the kind of opening scenes, but other than that, he's just a big eye in the sky as well, isn't he? So your kind of your main evils um, in the film are the Ring and him, and, and, and neither of them are kind of very 
visible or tangible in the sense of a, of a being so to speak so it would be very dangerous i think to remove that kind of jeopardy by having him there and it would just be confusing as well and i think to people that haven't read the books would have would have scratched their heads an awful lot so i can understand why that's not there yeah it's a shame they cut the barrow downs out yes yeah and i, I mean they, they changed quite a bit from the kind of leaving the shire area didn't they um so going up yeah. to crick hollow um fatty fatty you've got um um mary joining them later on as well um a lot of these iconic scenes like with them carrying under the tree with the four hobbits well that was only three wasn't it in the book i think i'm trying to well, i've got that wrong now but um there's lots of little bits iconic bits like that that just that just wouldn't work and i feel it would have been too long you know it was already quite long that opening chapter as it is they got to they had to set up the history with the opening kind of second age and second age stuff and they had to set up the shire and they did an amazing job of that and that's um one of my favorite parts of of both lots of films is that they nailed nailed the shire i remember when i first sat down to watch the fellowship in the cinema and you saw the opening battle scene which was like wow amazing this is going to be an epic style film and then it cuts to the shire and as soon as that first bit of music and you see the sunny shire and you think this is this is the Shire, this is Hobbiton that I had in my head when I read those books. This film's going to yeah. be good. They've got it. They've nailed the tone. It's not weird or wacky. It's not, it's not different. It's, this is exactly... It felt like you'd seen it before, and I think they got that bit right as well. But if you're extending the Leaving of the Shire and the the, 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 the Barrow Downs and the Tom Bombadil bit, you'd have just, the film would have been too... The film's as massive as it is anyway. It would have just been too, mm. too long. Same um, with Scouring of the Shire. As much as yeah. it would have been good to see... I, yeah, it's it's a. I mean, let's be honest. Um, Return of the King has enough a, a number of a number of endings, endings anyway. As it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's. I don't think it needed another as as, as much as that. You know, is a shame to see. Yeah, there's all they made the right call. There's definitely in multiple endings, and they're there for fans of Lord of the Rings, not for the film, because you wouldn't have had. You wouldn't have even had the wedding scene, would you? Really, if it were just going making it as a film and it was a, as original screenplay rather than taken from a book, you would have probably ended with the eagles rescuing Frodo and Sam. I imagine you wouldn't need any more after that. Uh, maybe you'd even left them. You could have just left them on the on the rocks. People don't don't know whether they got rescued or not. You wouldn't need to go any further. The the, the destroying of the ring would have been it. Um, go to black like the sopranos yeah exactly you just wouldn't <laughs> you just wouldn't need it so there were already extra endings on there so yeah adding adding the, the scouring would would have been a would have been a problem i'd love them to go back and do it but you know obviously they might, it would be really cool if they did it as a you know, how would you, how would you do it I and mean, it's just never gonna happen but be, it would be fun to add that bit at some point um what else is different and there's lots of other little minor things which you kind of uh, like um, duna dan there's a lot of them missing you've got um who else you got Arwen doing a lot more than she did in in, in the book, um, replacing um, Glorfindel. Glorfindel, yeah. Um, and I get it because a film like that, I mean, that's quite a big change that kind of remains throughout the film, isn't it? She sort of pops up, but you need that love interest in films, I suppose. Um, and you needed a female the character. Dolamor was a big one as well. Yeah, Imre would have been cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whether you could have. I think they it would have to... taken, it would have taken a lot of the emphasis off how important Aragorn had, like this yes. other Prince Imral, Imherar, um and yeah. um, like the Angbor and 
furlong were fat and stuff like that. You could have had them in there, but they would have had to be very much background. And we get that a little bit anyway, don't you? You you look at like the scene of the Council of Elrond and you think there's all these people that don't speak, but you can actually Mm. go around and then realise which big characters they're actually supposed to be, but they just don't Mm. have speaking parts. So the only way I think they could have done it without detracting from the film would have been them to be in some scenes, but non-speaking parts, which would have been strange. But Mm -hmm. what else? The AMR Erkenbrand thing. So AMR obviously fought on the walls of Helm's Deep. He didn't you know, it was him that drew swords with with Aragorn, not um, not Thaden, and um, it wasn't Aomer that, that that rode down over the hill with Gandalf, was it? So that's quite a big change as well. I think that the reason they gave, I remember, I haven't seen the the, the extras for Lord of the Rings for a couple of years now. But I think the reason they've given was that there was just too many big name heroes, and you sort of dilute. Um, the meaning of some of them and you confuse people if you have even more of these big name heroes turn up so you know, just kind of that was a way of enhancing Aomer in the film who was obviously going to go on and fight at Pelennor and, and, and become king um, which they didn't really touch on no and again because that would have been another ending was it it's more of a kind mm. of you assume you knew he was heir you'd assume it so um and there's probably others, but they're the. I think those are the things that kind of really stick out for me in the Lord of the Rings films. Just kind of fairly witch, large things. Um, the Witch King at the gates of um, Minas Tirith. Obviously, he yeah. crosses the threshold, doesn't he? And then, but that would have very much annihilated the pace that would have been built up over the um, the sequence in the film. So I, I totally got that one as well. So I, I don't know. I think. I get the feeling with the changes they made to Lord of the Rings as a Lord of the Rings fan that I agreed with all of their reasons and understood them, whether it's to do with pacing of the, the the film, whether it's to do with you couldn't film the film the same way as the books were written, so you couldn't be off with... You couldn't have a whole hour with Frodo and Sam and then cut back to another hour you know, with without them or so. You had to keep cutting between the different characters and the different timelines and, and match those timelines rather than kind of doing 300, work, 300 pages like, like Tolkien did and then go back and say, and at the same time all of this was happening 300 pages ago, this was also happening, which is a crazy way to write a book, really. But So I get why they did it, and it all seems to make sense. Um, you could have, yeah, I, I get it all. I can kind of forgive all of the differences, and um, nothing there really is a fan of the book that, that annoys me. I kind of see it as, well, it's a different media, media isn't it? And you've just got to, you've got to accept that what makes a good film wouldn't always make a good book and vice versa. Um Anyone else think of any other big ones there that kind of that we haven't touched on? They kind of get people upset, or uh, they probably are. So if you're listening to this, please please engage with this conversation. Don't just think because we've we're talking about this on the show that it's over. I'd love to see a long comments thread once we've posted this up. What people's thoughts are, or the you know any any part a of this positive discussion. one. <laughs> well, whatever you like, really. But it'd be nice to keep it keep it positive, positive, um, politely negative, if anything. Yeah, <laughs> be, be truthful. Don't pretend you like a film if you don't. But just be yeah, be be balanced in it. Um, so we do we do the same kind of thing for the Hobbit book then to the films on, on what was different with those. Um, what sort of headlines? That's a things? bit of a. <laughs> well, it's a bit well, more of a mindfulness. <laughs> Let's address the, the biggest part of the elephant here is that unless you've read the appendices from Lord of the Rings trilogy, yeah, most of the stuff that is in the Hobbit film doesn't make sense. And no. it's only fleshed out by Tolkien doing the appendices at the end. And you go, 
oh, that's why he's there and stuff like that. I mean, you guys might think I'm completely wrong, but to me, that's people say, oh, well, that's not in the film. It's like you need to read the appendix. Don't go and read the Lord of the Rings books if you don't want to, but if you want this to make sense as why this is in the film and not in the yeah. book, read the appendices, and then everything makes so much more sense. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of filler in there from the appendices and, you know, Silmarillion et al. and et cetera, et cetera. It's a way of telling the why. I mean, I, I can't remember where I read this or heard this, but I think when they originally started working out what the films were going to be, uh, even before they started filming, um, I think it was going to the original plan was for two anyway. The yeah, original original good. plan was with two, and the, the first rumours I heard was it was going to be a Hobbit, and then a second film, and I don't know what the title was going to be, but that was going to be like the bridging between the two, um, to do things for so the Hobbit film, and then the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and that was going to be full of all of the kind of appendices kind of stuff. Um, so almost manufacturing a a, a second thing and I think that was that was like the early announcements of what they were going to do and then um and then things obviously changed an awful lot but uh, I love the appendices stuff in there I think as a Lord of the Rings fan and as a Middle Earth fan it's really really cool to see that stuff on there I love the Dorgaldur scenes with the White Council it's absolutely incredible um it's obviously not the Hobbit but it is now part of the Hobbit film and that's probably the way to think of it is it in its on its own you know those scenes are absolutely incredible um and I think they work within the films the way they do it but I understand yeah. that if you just want to go and see a film dramatization of the Hobbit book um that is there but it's interspersed between lots of these other bits to make this weird kind of epic so it's a little bit of a uh, not a bad Frankenstein's monster, but there is, you know, there's definitely elements of having to cram those things together to make a, a new story. Whereas Lord of the Rings is a is a story in its entirety, where they're not putting stuff from other books. I, I tend to view it as um, just building the, the the canvas of Middle Earth. I I love it. The um, the scene in the High Fells with Gandalf and uh, Radagast. Yeah, and he turns around a servant of evil, and he one of nine. That line is amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. It's one of my favourite um, lines from the entire, sort of all six films. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't change it at all. Um, and w- would I prefer... I don't know whether I'd have preferred a Hobbit film and then a film that kind of tied all the other stuff in. I don't really mind, because it's, um, it's Middle Earth. It's PJ's Middle Earth. And I love his version of, of, of the way Middle Earth should look. It fits... It, well, it, it is the Middle Earth in my head now. I can't even remember what Middle Earth in my head looked like before these films. But it was definitely close enough to what I had in my head, like I've already mentioned with The Shy, that when I saw it, it made sense as Middle Earth. It didn't feel like, oh, this bit's a bit weird. That's not what I imagined it to be. Um, and for me, those extra bits are still Lord of the Rings and they are from the appendices, um, bar a few things we'll probably get onto later with certain characters and things. But most of it is, is expanding that story and I like it because it's it's not such a, a natural complete story as the original trilogy but I still like what we got and I'm, I'd rather have had it than not but um, I mean there are some so I'm trying to think of other examples of things that were definitely different from, from the Hobbit book rather than the appendices but definitely different from the Hobbit book to um, the way Thranduil's covered obviously he wasn't really discussed as Thranduil in 
the Hobbit books. Yes, it was only in the appendices point. where he was spoken of as Thranduil. Yeah, he was the Elf King, and he was portrayed, at least in description, very differently to how Thranduil was presented in the movies. Yep, makes sense. Um, I forgot about that bit actually. That's a really good point. Obviously, the entire sequence. So they touch on it more again in the extended version um, of uh, Bomber getting, you know, sleepy or sick. Yes, because um, you know he touches the water. Yada yada. Um, that section when they're sort of pursuing the the wood elves when they're sort of partying that kind of section. I, I don't think that would have worked in the movie, so I understand why they changed it. But that's quite a departure from the source material. Yeah, that's a very very big departure. What else is there? I suppose Azog is in in, in some sense, isn't he? Because well, he's already dead. Because he's dead. <laughs> um, and Bolg. Um, was was the yeah, so the antagonist throughout the entire yeah, yeah wasn't he and that's something like I've already mentioned Azog and he'll probably come up a few times with my when I pick up yeah. things that 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 stand out for me more and maybe not my mm. I don't hate Legolas not my, not my favorite Full parts stop. of it yeah where well, the Legolas should be in there and well he killed Bog didn't he but in the books it's um, Bayon yes yeah and yeah again that's can see why they've done that but um they're quite i don't know they they feel like some of those differences there are reasons for them but they're maybe not as as logical or as immediately logical as the ones that were in lord of the rings it seems very clear all the rings why they feel like film tropes the whole yeah, tariel maybe set. her as a character in general while, while i love her you know um she's not bad to look at and you know there's some very good miniatures that have been created off of it there is absolutely no purpose for her. Yeah, even worse than Arwen. <laughs> See, I've got, I've got a. Um, that's probably got a list of things I don't like, and I've. I'll, I'll probably want to cover that later because it might be good for us to go and list the things we really like from both trilogies and things we didn't like from other. I mean, I can kind of conclusion mm. at the end, so I will discuss Tariel and, and and that kind of stuff there. But um, what about Sam? You Sam, do you think of anything that's kind of that that was majorly changed from the plot of the uh, and not including the appendices because obviously they've got all each of those are like mini stories have got their own plot really but anything from mm. the main sort of standard hobbit book that was handled very differently in the in the films um, they don't stand out as much to me but i think i've not read the hobbit as many times as i've read lord of the rings so um i, I don't necessarily think it's something that was missed out or it was the fact that if i remember correctly um you actually don't hear anything you don't actually hear how smaug dies in the book yeah. so obviously they had to fill, fill that part in themselves um and it's something that i thought they did actually very well but like that whole sort of scene like i remember watching it and being on the edge of my seat because obviously i was like oh we're, we're not going to see how smaug dies because in the book it just sort of he, he just it's just sort of from another chapter's point of view you have to assume that he's dead yeah yeah, that's good. I, I, I love Smaug in the, in the films. I think it's, um, I think it's fantastic, and one of the best things out of that trilogy was Benedict Cumberbatch's um, casting, and, and the voice acting was incredible. And I really, really liked all of those scenes. To be honest with you, and Martin Freeman's amazing as well, and brilliant Bilbo he was, regardless of oh, whether you like those. Touch films. on that later. Actually. He's really, I, I think he's fantastic. I mean, you could. He- one Sorry, of the, carry on. One of the, you know, I'll let you go straight back to afterwards, but one of the major complaints about Smaug is is, is that him dying at the beginning of film three rather than at the end of, of film two. And um, I, I understand what they did there, but it did feel like it, 
there's a reason for it, I think, and, and they talk about that with the, the with the way the film scripts are written and how it became two and then three films, and I think that some of the pacing and some of the way the films are split wouldn't have been that way had they written the scripts thinking there were going to be three to start with and had they not had to rewrite scripts when uh, when PJ took over from Del Toro as well. So a lot of the, lot of the so-called well-versed issues with the film the, the the Hobbit trilogy, a lot of them I think have got to do with Peter Jackson taking over a project where he was only supposed to be a producer for rather than the, the director and then having to do everything at pace um, and writing scripts as and when as they were starting to film and all kinds of things like that. But anyway, Sam, I'm uh, sorry, I'm Dan, what were you going to say about there? Well, one, obviously, I, I completely agree with you. The voice acting, I loved him as the necromancer slash Sauron. He's yep. brilliant for that. Um, but I loved Martin Freeman as Bilbo, and I'm going to go out there, and this is going to really upset some people. He was a better Bilbo than Elijah was um, Frodo. I agree. Actually. I Sorry. really still don't like... Elijah Wood's performance, particularly. Um, he was saved by Sean Astin because uh-huh. Sam made those interactions better. But Martin Freeman as Bilbo was... I, I initially went, really? Because obviously I'd seen him in other things that he'd been <laughs> in. I remember. I still remember Rally G in the house. I'm sorry. <laughs> watching that now, when you see him, as, after seeing him in all the films he's been in and watching him on this, that and the other. But he was so good as Bilbo. I loved him as Bilbo. Yeah, no, I, I think he was one of the best casting, one of the best things cast from both films. Brilliant, really, really, really brilliant performance. And I think um, if the films had been um, more critically acclaimed, especially like the first two Lord of the Rings films, but with that performance within them, then he would have been up with a chance of an Oscar or something. I think he was really that good, but there was so much of the rest of the film that maybe suffered um, that it was never going to happen. Um, but um, yeah, really good. I'm losing track where we are a little bit now. So um, sort of thinking about book differences, really, I think there's probably a lot more, but because the Hobbit trilogy is so different, it's quite hard to pick out, pick out what things. So let's go, let's go some positive stuff then. And what let's discuss some things we think both, lots of trilogies did really well so regardless of uh um whether it's lord of the rings or hobbit who wants to go first sam what do you uh and what do you, what, what do you think they did best um i i think the casting for both films was i get what dan's saying uh, about frodo and the problem I've got is that I can't see anybody else being Frodo now <laughs> because, because I can't think of who I would have put in Frodo's in Elijah Wood's place for Lord of the Rings. But I, I think that the casting for both films was very good. There's not really a character that I can think of personally that I'm like, oh, yeah, they're, they're a bit rubbish in that role. But I, I do genuinely agree with Dan about the Sean Sean Astin Sean Austin um, comment that he, he definitely made that pairing in the sense that there was a time where I used to skip through all the Sam and Frodo parts whenever watching the films not because I didn't like the actors but because it was just compared to the rest of the film it was almost felt like you were hitting the pause button on everything all the time uh-huh. um, uh, but I think they did very well 
the casting. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've got that as number one on my notes, actually, of things that did well. I think they were. Oh, good. I think they were pretty spot on for um, for for both films. Even even the dwarves in in the Hobbit trilogy. It's a, it was a very different different style of film, and they fit, and and whatever you say about those films, and whether there's almost two different styles of film in one, in many senses. If you follow the journey of the dwarves and the the, the that party, there is very much is the kids' book for most of it, isn't it? And they're the, the natural comedy you've got in there, I think they're pretty good. Um, so yeah, I think I think that was good. Mm. Dan, can you think of or, or Sam think of more things as well? It's um, you know, so you'd have to just pick one thing. We're just thinking of things in general that you felt that both lots of films did well. I think stylistically, I mean, I've, I've touched on this before. The um, Alan Lee, his vision in all the artwork he'd done was how I've always seen Middle Earth, really. Mm. And the fact they brought him on as a technical, um, you know, expert, and they used a lot of his style in the movies. The fact that they almost lifted some of his art straight onto the screen is just awesome. I've always loved that kind of thing. Um, just to, to discuss another film quickly, um, Three Hundred. Not everyone's cup of tea, but the fact that half of it looks like it's lifted directly off the comic book pages is awesome, and I've always loved that kind of. Because I'm, I'm a book lover, I, I love to see well-illustrated books and then have that turned onto the silver screen and it still retains some of that quality which made you fall in love with the book in the first place. I, I've always enjoyed that. So seeing that translated into the movies and seeing a, a world I've loved for longer than I've known the movies yep. carried on, I, I've always enjoyed that. Yep. Um, yep, definitely. I, I, and that's There's a the commonality almost of style, even with the things that have never been touched upon. Um, so that, that style has been push through a lot of the races and a lot of the world that was built up around it uh-huh. which I really liked um, completely agree as well that's actually I've got looking at my notes that is my number two as well so casting and then I've got the the overall style of the film so I meant I touched on it a little bit when I said that I first watched the fellowship and as soon as the the first few scenes of the Shire was there and I just knew that was it I knew I was in the middle earth that I thought that I was familiar with and like you like you said so um Alan Lee and John Howe their artwork and their um their direction overall and then alongside that all the other artists and wetter and it created a middle earth that was very believable you talked a little bit earlier about the kind of the difference between high and low fantasy I mean, that's high and low fantasy is a, not the best i think it's a really problematic way not from what you said but i think it's a really difficult way to describe fantasy anyway um they're not I don't know if it's a very efficient way of describing fantasy, but no. I know where you. It's a broad so church these it days. It is. It's really difficult, isn't it? Because because fantasy's changing. I mean, where would you? We're not going to go down this rabbit holes. You don't need to answer this. But what is AOS now compared to what old war, the old world was versus Lord of the Rings versus Game of Thrones? So there's there's elements of you could you could debate now what is high and low fantasy. It's really confusing. But I get what you mean, and I, and I think you've got that. Um, especially in Lord of the Rings, the original ones, a lot of the, the look at Rohan and stuff, it looks like history, doesn't it? I think you, John Howe talked about when he was doing sketches for for the Rohan, he's talking about you could have found this, found the armour at Sutton Hoo. So if you go to a, many a museum in, 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 in England and look at Saxon's um, um, armour and clothes and jewellery and coins and things and all these kind of elements make it feel very realistic and that 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 you are looking at something that could be history not just a 
a, a fantasy film and maybe that comes through a little bit more in Lord of the Rings though I do feel that the overall visuals do carry on well through both films I think that the change for me is not so much the costume design there it's the how it's how the CGI is used maybe and the fact that you've got more non-human characters in the Hobbit films so that makes it feel more fantastical um, but yeah definitely the, the visuals is, is, is spot on um, um, so I suppose that for me I mean I, have, I put costume on there as well but that's all covered for me in the visuals and the style um, I think the script for the Lord of the Rings films was was really really good um, and I don't I mean it's not quite as 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 memorable at some points in the Hobbit films but I still think it I, there's nothing that really jars me I don't watch it thinking well that's they've done a bad I think job the thing there. for me is some of the characters particularly the ones that were you know uh, in the Lord of the Rings so uh, you know they were released first even if they're not uh, in chronological order first yeah. they had developed characters characters that we know and love and I think perhaps a little more time was lavished on some of their scripting uh-huh, that makes sense. I definitely think that um, Gandalf got the best of it. Yeah. He got by far pretty much the best lines of all of it, um, closely followed by Bilbo. And then I'll probably say... I like Dwarlin. <laughs> I can't help it, I like Dwarlin. But yeah, they, they definitely, I think they um, went with... They, they, play the hits so i think gandalf definitely got a lot more character progression and uh scripting uh focus than some of the others yeah i agree i think you're definitely right about the dwelling thing as well when, when i think of dwarfs if like so going back to the what you said about D D thing like if i'm if i want to play a dwarf i instantly think of dwelling uh-huh. and i think he's just a, a great they cast him really really well yeah, I also I th- just always think of Soap McTavish as well from <laughs> Call of Duty. <laughs> yes. I, I think they're all good, to be honest with you. I think all the doors are fairly good. I think, if anything, the most potentially problematic would be the least three dwarvish looking. And, and some of that, and they knew that was a style choice made for, for, for acting reasons, I suppose. And <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you could say that... Uh, Keely and Feely and Thorin at times can you could forget they were dwarves because um, they look very human and, and and the way they're acting and the other part you know that you've got element we're getting into the kind of potential negatives here as well which I didn't really want to do in this section but um, but yeah I think overall it was all it was all pretty good um, I think the pacing was really good for for all the films as well I didn't you, I didn't feel bored at any point I know Sam you mentioned that you felt like you were on pause a bit during the um, the, the the Frodo and Sam scenes and God, God, can you imagine what it would have felt like if they did what they did it the same way as the books? It would have felt like two different films. But um, mm. I quite liked the change of pace between the two, and I felt it cut enough that you weren't um, weren't left with them for two. You didn't feel like you were left with a slower pace. If anything, um, I find in the books sometimes I think oh, I really want to get back to to Helm's Deep rather than. You know the three hundred pages or the one hundred and fifty pages, more, probably more realistically, you've got of just um, Sam and Frodo. So, um, but okay, let's let's move on to um, to things that we um, didn't like then from from both sides. <laughs> let's let's do it. Um, and you don't have to be sort of 
super harsh or anything, but say what things yeah. would you have changed or you didn't like from them? I will say this. I don't, there's not many things I, I really don't like. Um, there's things that I found jarring with the overall uh, presentation and flow of the movies, um, but I'd rather take Peter Jackson's Middle Earth on a bad day than most things on a good day. Yeah. Just to caveat. Um, we've already covered Tariel. Um, I, as much as, again, she's very pretty to look at, I don't entirely see the point of her. She didn't need to be there. There's that, that oft used joke about um, the entire Indiana Jones. You know, <laughs> uh, he, he didn't need to be there. Yeah. He, he's pointless. Um, she's very much that. That the, nothing would have really changed in any of it. Yeah. She's um she's my number one. It's like we, she's my number one of things that I wouldn't miss. I suppose in that sense, I don't mind her being in the films, but I'm not. I don't necessarily like the way she was used. Again, it's about getting that female love interest in and that love story into the film, isn't it? And it, I think it worked smoother with Arwen because you were able to swap her with a character to get her on early into the films, and then you were able to use her for kind of in dream sequences as a way of kind of given a wider Point, picture yeah. to Aragorn's story and it works really really well so it felt felt like her inclusion yes it meant we, you kind of you lost Lorfindel but aside from that you didn't really change the overall story arc you've changed you swapped a character place but they're still doing the same thing so the flight to the Ford happened it was just with a different character and then the other parts were just a way of expanding the 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 Aragon story and what will happen afterwards and the jeopardy and all those things, it all makes sense. Whereas I'm not sure that the Tariel um, Keeley love story does anything, doesn't do anything for me anyway. I don't hate it. As I said, I do like these films still, but I wouldn't miss if it wasn't there. Um, I, 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 I'm just not a fan old. of the love story with, with the dwarf. It just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't fit in very well with the rest of... Um, the Lord no. of the Rings films for me you know if you've got to have her in there and I think I get it as a film you probably need that to sell films these days and you're having Legolas there there was a little bit of an underlying wasn't there did Legolas was there a was that a love triangle there maybe you didn't need the triangle maybe maybe that Legolas and Tariel could have been uh the love interest love. and it is forbidden yeah. love so there's your triangle bit it's the it's the father that that, that that says that you can't you can't chase this woman because she's not of the same elf class as you or cast or something for me that would have been fine yes it's not from the appendices or from from the hobbit book but i would have accepted that you need to have that kind of love thing in a modern film and that's why it's there i didn't like the keely bit didn't really make a lot of sense to me i didn't know what it did to other parts of the story as well that you ended up with the dwarves being some of the dwarves being left in Lake Town, rather than being at the the, the mountain, it just seems you know. I don't know. Yeah. It just, I I think there was a knock on effect there, so I would have done it differently. Um, but you know, it doesn't doesn't mean I don't like the film. So I don't want to. It's not in an angry kind of way. But for me, that would be the no. main thing I'd, I'd I'd have liked to have changed. Um, I would have changed Darwin though. In fairness, uh-huh. I, see, I, I you know I don't want to come across as some angry incel. It's not the case at all. I don't necessarily <laughs> think it needs to have a love interest. I, there is enough of the human element to cover some of those sort of touchy-feely bases that a lot of yeah. film executives seem to think we need to have in movies. I mean, I'm not saying we turn it into the Expendables, but it's the, the fact that they missed out on Glorfindel and 
it mitigates some of the power of the elves. The elves are supposed to still be powerful. They're just waning. They're leaving. But they are an elf lord in, in full wrath. It's supposed to be terrifying to the servants of the end. That's the point. Yes, Although yeah. he can't stand against the entire nine, him and his fully unmasked in his sort of, you know, in, in Frodo's um, wraith vision that he, he's slowly succumbing, seeing Glorfindel in all his glory, sort of eclipsing sunlight, yeah. banishing these... Um, servants of the enemy into into the river i i think was uh, the the elves lost some of their relevance uh-huh. they made they made legolas look like you know like the terminator <laughs> whereas that's just what elf lords are yeah i mean i i wouldn't have minded it being there i would have i understood why they as i said they wanted to get that female character in earlier you get it naturally in two towers because of eowyn and the hmm. kind of unrequited love there, and you you kind of get that in, in, in Return of the King as well. So it really would just be fellowship that you'd feel that would be missing that. But um, I, as I said, I, I don't mind it. I would would have wouldn't have minded if it was the other way either. If we just saw her in the dream sequences and things, or there were more kind of it's just adding scenes, isn't it, to an already long film? But there could, there could have been other ways of doing bringing her into the film and just not having her do the flight to the full bit. But then you'd say Glorfindel would have only been it for a short period of time. I don't know, but I, I do get where you're coming from. Uh, yeah, I think it all ties into Aragorn in general, though, because they made him far more relatable. Yeah, in the movies than he is in the books, because there is supposed to be this otherness to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's in the books, but not in the films. Yeah, definitely. I. Other things I'd change. Uh, uh, most of my things I'd, I, I probably wouldn't have changed. Any of those things from Lord of the Rings are all going to be from the Hobbit, I'm afraid. And, and again, I don't want it to feel like a Hobbit bash because it's really not. But um, so I've already touched on this. I would, I would have liked that the Smaug's ending to be at the end of um, of the second film rather than the battle of, beginning of the Battle of Five Armies. It did feel like we were missing a bit of a a bit of a big ending there. You get that cliffhanger yeah. as he goes off, but, um, and he gave you a brilliant opening sequence, a bit like the extended two towers when you open with the Balrog and stuff. It's fantastic, but I would have liked to have seen that film have a, some kind of mini conclusion, whereas the other films do, don't they? If you think it Fellowship ends very ends, quick, abruptly, it does. It's and, kind of an anticlimactic ending to, um, uh, Des- Desolation. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure, and I think they've said that a lot of that was to do with. So obviously, Del Toro was supposed to be a director, was going to be the director, and uh, um, then the film there were going to be two films, and then there were problems with studios, and ended up Del Toro couldn't do it anymore because it was delayed, and he couldn't fit it into. into I don't know, all the, I can't remember all the details, but anyway, Peter Jackson took over, um, and they rewrote the script, um, and but they still stuck to all of the filming schedule, so they were writing as they went along and yeah, I think yeah. there were large parts of the film there were no storyboard for so when you're looking at the kind of some of the reasons why these these you know, well the point of this overall sort of topic is why do these films feel a little bit different aside from them being you know filmed many many years apart with newer technology and things but i think some of that it just wasn't the the amount of time and planning that went into the the Hobbit films as there as there was with the Lord of England because as I said Peter Jackson was supposed to be a producer and not not directing the film so they were always playing catch up and they and they didn't really um we would talk I was talking earlier about right at the beginning when Sam mentioned Battle of Five Armies and the extended being better the 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 this theatrical version of that battle at the end isn't great at all and it's because if you watch the extras they were they they're like 
few hours to spare to, to send off the finished film before it had to go to the premiere to get these digital files made. So they, they were running out of time to finish the film, otherwise the film wouldn't have been delivered in time for the premiere. And then they went back for the extended editions and actually finished the stuff properly, the stuff they wanted to do. And it's because it was nearly all CGI and they were just trying to render it all. And they're just running out of time. And you can see that with, with, with the way the films come out. The extendeds are so much better. It makes so much more sense as a, as a battle scene. Um, the theatrical one's a little bit weird. There's weird cuts in it. And it's I think it's just because they didn't have time. Um, and I think that was a knock-on effect all the way through from you know it being two films and... Um, where the appendices need to fit in and out because it's scene by scene there's some absolutely incredible bits but there's just some little bit of sort of disjointed parts here and there and i think that's where like maybe certain scenes were that were meant for one film ended up being in another um you know turning two films into three and that was after he took over that that decision was made as well i think i'm sure he talks about it on in the extras that they suddenly had to manufacture an ending for one film and beginning for another or something so those goalposts were moving and um definitely wasn't like that with with all the rings because it was fully planned and they filmed them all back to back in one go didn't they so um yeah it was pretty much they they just released different bits and put them into post-production at different times yeah it was pretty much all there and yeah, yeah it's it a very different uh methodology to the do and it does show yeah definitely wasn't the one I, for me i think that's probably without getting to the conclusion before we finish discussing it but for me that's probably the single biggest reason why there was that kind of the, the real change because the the teams were effectively the same for, for most of it um and um, the, the you know the, the artists and all the visual stuff is all very very similar apart from more modernized um what about have you got other things that you uh you know, i've got a couple more that really sort of stand out to me um that sort of changed the feel for me a little bit that i would have preferred in a different way but i don't know if i'd want to keep talking if you've got other things as well in terms of negatives i don't know i, I try not to get too bogged down it i didn't find legolas necessary i didn't find tariel necessary um i think um they pushed the problem is bard was very much a bit part uh-huh. In, in the books, yeah, the book. He he, you know, he was just this chap. He yep. gets a little. He shoots a dragon. And he turns up a little bit at the end of Battle of Five Armies. But they're they're you know the whole Dale things. They're a line, maybe two. Yeah, in the book, they don't really get much of a a look in. Um, and again, none of them really do for for such a monstrous great battle. It's. <laughs> not a very long section in the book it's a couple of pages isn't it so that, that makes yeah. it hard in itself um i, I the fact they I, gave each thing its own very distinct term and i think i like the way they made the iron obviously it's obvious i like the way they made the iron hills look yeah but that's my my single greatest thing through possibly for all of the films i love that entire section for the iron hills i think they're brilliant it's great fun i great fun. i i, I love I, I really like Bard and I don't mind the way they've expanded it. I think they've expanded it in a way that makes sense. And then while it's expanded beyond official writings, so to speak, um, it all fits in with what would happen in the appendices and when we know we know what happens in the future. We know in the War of the Ring that his grandson is, is fighting alongside Dane, don't we? So it all kind of, for me, fits in the Middle Earth that, uh, that, that we know. So I don't have an issue with any of those things. I don't think it spoils it it's just a natural you got to fill 
all three films then you have to build on those and i think lake town looked beautiful i think we did a really good job of of um you know telling us a wider story um some people don't like alfred it doesn't bother me some people you know i've seen some terrible youtube based diatribes where they compare him to jar jar binks and he's not funny i think he's fine to be honest with you don't have a problem with it at all doesn't detract from the films for me um again negative wise things i've already touched on to be honest with you i'm just not a huge fan of azog whether he needs to be there as azog anyway rather than um using bold um but more so i just really wish it wasn't that cg big white cg orc it just i find it slightly jarring the the original bulk (coughs) excuse me the one that's um had three names in the game um the the um bulk when it was first released and then the castellan and then the the master of whatever it done i i love that and that was originally a real actor wasn't it so yeah um i like that i would have liked that to be it would have made it feel more like lord of rings to me um, the problem you've got is the guy they got to voice azog is crixus in spartacus right and he's quite short <laughs> he's i mean like i mean i'm six foot four so most people are but people, i have no idea how tall people are they're all shorter than me <laughs> but um he is you know Azog's supposed to be big yeah the great white orc and uh yeah he crixus uh, i can't remember the actor's name uh, someone will be screaming it, but he is not particularly tall. Um, well, you but he was also very good. Yeah, but the thing is, his voice acting for I quite like Frazog. Obviously, no, he's talking. He's not talking English, is he? But he's. Um, don't get me wrong. Oh, I good. don't dislike Azog. I would have preferred it if it wasn't done the way it was. If that makes yeah, sense, prosthetics rather than CGI. I, for me, that's one of the things that really stands out for me, and it's the, it's my other and my only other real point is the 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 you know I love the scenes in in the Helm's Deep and at Pelennor and all of these actors, these hundreds and hundreds of actors in full prosthetics filming those scenes versus the the the, the computer generated um, orc armies in and the hobbit that with the computer regenerated azog are aside from the the weird toriel thing are the things that the only bits visually that kind of stand out for me that feel different um and we talk about being a kid's film versus you know you'd have a whole time with it anyway. yeah and i know they deliberately tried to cut down on the some of the blood and things to make sure it stuck to its rating and stuff but i don't know i just for me that it's also I, I wish that was yeah i if i again if i don't hate it i love these films but if i could choose if i could press a magic button and say what would you do to change it would it be the things i've mentioned obviously we're changing that wouldn't get rid of tariel but i'd change that storyline a little bit and the doors would be separate from it there wouldn't be any love triangle there um so i'd keep her in there and she'd be with legolas doing all the stuff they did I would have a real actor playing Azog, and it probably would be Bolg rather than Azog as well. I wouldn't have changed that bit. And then I would have had proper actors for all of the, the Gundabads in the same way as the, the Oryx were done, because I love that feel to it. So keep the same story, but film it in a different way. But again, I don't think that was possible. They just didn't have the time to do that. They had to go CG because of the time. And I wonder whether if Peter Jackson knew he was going to do the films himself and he planned it had the same amount of lead time to plan it himself whether we'd have had a similar kind of mix of cg to 
to, to real actors. You might have seen a few more battle scenes where there were real actors dressed up rather than the, the mass CG that we did. So, the, so these are quite minor complaints, really. They seem like big things, but the, the overall storyline of it, I love. But yeah, I'd, I'd probably change those bits. But other than that, not a lot else. So it sounds like a lot of complaining, but it's not really. I do really love it. It's just things that I prefer. If we're looking at what I prefer from Lord of the Rings over The Hobbit, it's those little bits of feel, and that, I think that's one of the reasons why I prefer that trilogy to The Hobbit one. Yeah, I think that's a fair shout. It's a very fair cop, because the live action does generally um, give you a better uh, finished product in terms of believability. Um, there's something about the way that the the characters are in The Hobbit, though, that I really love compared to all the things. I love the dwarves. I love Thorin's company. I, I love the way they interact. And you, oh, when Thorin pops it, I, I, you know, I nearly bore like a child every time. And I know it's coming. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't I ever feel. I mean, well, actually, you know, Boromir cocks it in the Fellowship. I still, it still gets me a little. Yeah, absolutely. So I wouldn't change them. As I said, the, the, would I have had slightly more prosthetics? Yeah, minor little things maybe to make them look slightly more dwarvish so you don't forget they're dwarves at time. You haven't got the natural scale going on to show they're dwarves, have you? Because most of the time on the screen, unless Gandalf's in the company. Yeah, so you, yeah. You, you, you could be forgiven for forgetting that they're supposed to be dwarves. But it's, I didn't um things love those films still still just a couple of things and a lot of it i think there are real good mitigating reasons why they happened the way they did whether it's the decisions made to omit things from from the lord of the rings because otherwise it just wouldn't have worked as a film to the you know let's let's face it this the hobbit could have been made as a single film but once you're on the back of the incredible most successful fantasy trilogy of all time there's no way that the studios were going to let them get away with just making a one-off hobbit film they were always going to try and milk it into some big bear bear moth of a of a trilogy really weren't they so i'm surprised it was ever earmarked for two films it you know makes sense that they, they ended up with being three and i love the way they filled it out with real stuff from the appendices rather than just making stuff up you know we got we got some deeper explanation you do i suppose have this kind of um weird thing where they're trying to build jeopardy for the ring but the ring's not really a character in that film so it's kind of again it's probably bad filmmaking but for lord of the rings fans it doesn't matter because you know what they're getting at if you're not really a lord of the rings fan you might think well this it's a bit weird what are they what's the dog at all bit got to do with any of it what that's it is very much lip service to fans, isn't it? It's not really something that makes sense in terms of it being a, a motion picture if you're watching it as a motion picture on its own without really knowing the deeper lore. I'd love to hear the, the opinions on this of someone who's never really been into Tolkien before they saw the movie. Yeah. Because I think that's the perspective. I think a lot of these discussions are missing. Because... Uh-huh. Um, I could argue you, you got that with the um, with the kind of the critics' ratings and things, couldn't you? Um, and critics don't always get it right, but you could argue that that, that some of that was reflected in in the uh, your, your your ratings and your how much money it made at the the cinemas and how it was regarded from as feedback from the kind of wider film community. Um, well, I don't know. They love Rise of Skywalker, so I'm not listening to them. <laughs> okay. um, I'm not going to go down uh, the rabbit hole. Uh, let's not touch that. <laughs> but um, one, one thing that I've sort of thought about is I watched these movies again relatively recently with um, Mother Earth, and she hadn't really watched any of the 
talking movies at all. She wasn't really interested uh, before we got together, and there was obviously no way she was getting away with it. Now she got with me. Um, we watched all of the extendeds, and she actually reacted as someone who wasn't into Tolkien more positively in some respects to The Hobbit. Uh-huh. I think it's more accessible in a lot of respects than Lord of the Rings. I, I It's very hard for a lot of us to say. I, obviously, we've, we've, we've been into Tolkien forever. For as long as we can remember. So we have our own preconceived notions of how things should be. Even yeah. if you've only got into it since seeing the films since 2001. We're in 2020. <laughs> That's a long time to form a, almost, uh, you know, people think they own the hobbies they love and the things that they love. And anything which uh, runs contrary to the way they see it can elicit some quite extreme views, um, as we can see on the internet or YouTube comment section ever. <laughs> um, I don't think The Hobbit deserves the stick it gets. I really don't. Um, and as I said, I'll, I'll take Peter Jackson's Middle Earth on a bad day over anything else on a good day. Yeah, it's no Warcraft movie, is it? <laughs> I've yet to watch that. I refuse to. Partly because it's got um, what's his face from uh, Vikings in it. Don't you like him? And, I quite like Vikings. No, I think he's brilliant. I don't want him ruining. That's the problem. No, right. I think he's brilliant as Ragnar, and I do not want him <laughs> ruining by that movie. <laughs> Uh, Jeremy Irons in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh yeah, that's an interesting film. But we, uh, we, we weren't going to. Uh, off I've you, never so. finished that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I agree with you. I do agree with you. It's um, we've we've just done it ourselves. You can you can overthink and over debate these things. Um, but it's always interested me the the kind of the balance in the discussion between um, what people are looking for with the Hobbit because. People, a lot of people were wanting something they weren't going to get, which is just the kids' book. Um, and if they made it first before the Lord of the Rings, you might have got that, but that was never going to happen. It was always, always going to be needed to be something bigger because it was controlled by making money for the studios. That's just the way way the world works. But like like we've both said, it Peter Jackson's Middle Earth is generally spot on. And uh, aside from those few little little kind of minor adjustments that I would have liked to have seen done differently it's, it's definitely not support the films for me I love them I do prefer the Lord of the Rings trilogy but absolutely love the Hobbit and uh, I watch it these days almost just as much as I do the Lord of the Rings one so and no, funnily enough we talk about it being a kids film and maybe it hit the mark there and maybe it didn't Jacob's seen them all Jacob's five um, and he he still loves the Hobbit films and he loves the unexpected journey he loves the dwarves and that just shows that 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 part of the film that story arc the actual quest to get to the mountain that bit is right and he gets it and it works so that story's told well um whether that's diluted by the way it had to be presented i don't know but he gets it and he loves it so he's doing the job there i think what we can take from it as well is i don't know about you but i never expected all of the rings to have ever been filmed yeah ever you know when there were rumors of it you know back in the late 90s everyone was like yeah it's never happening yeah but it happened and then we thought no i won't get the hobbit it happened and we've got all of these amazing bits of source material that has been thankfully licensed by games workshop to make all these awesome miniatures and the great game we enjoy so if they hadn't had bolted in all this extra stuff and elaborated and alliterated yeah we'd be stuck with you know anglo-saxons and orcs yeah, uh, to be honest with you, and it wouldn't be made now either. 
because now it would be what we're getting with the Amazon series, aren't we? So if if those films hadn't been made, because even back then people were thought those that they were too big and not able to make into a film, they thought he was mad for doing it. If they didn't make them then, they wouldn't ever have been films because now with the the onset of these mega series from Netflix and from Amazon and from from HBO and all these other big producers, it would have been a multi-series. Um, epic story which would have gone off on all kinds of tangents I'm, I'm so glad that the main story as much as I'm looking forward to the Amazon series I'm so glad that the main story of Lord of the Rings was told in some films, yeah, some very long films and some very good, but they were films and they never got they never got they could have bastardised into a weird, yeah, yeah it might have been good still but it, I think it would have been a lot because you have to, ha- each episode has to have a mini ending, you, you end up with sort of having to manufacture more of the story which would have wouldn't have would have been a shame and you'd have lose the pacing of it all but anyway i think we've done a pretty good job of um well, i say pretty good job i think we've probably exhausted our um discussion on it at least in in this sense and there are many more discussions that could be around those films and even breaking the films down individuals and reviewing them and maybe we'll do that one day but not for a while we will get back to uh to um tabletop type chatter for the next episode but um um, unless there's something else you want to add, Dan, if you before I cut us off and uh... no, I think we've flogged this horse enough for this evening. Cool. Well, well, let's go for a little break, and we'll we'll join you back to close the show. Hello again. So thank you for listening to what might be a long show. I'm not sure. I think we chatted for well over an hour there for that film discussion. Hopefully it was enjoyable for you. Hopefully not too many people shouting at us down the uh, shouting at your speakers because you disagree with us. But I'd love to see some comments on it, your own thoughts um about what you liked about both trilogies and comparisons, etc., etc. Basically on anything we've discussed. Um, some of you might notice that Sam didn't talk for the last sort of 20 minutes of that last bit sam had to drop out unfortunately so um, we're in the middle of us recording that a little bit so we didn't get to have his final say on the uh things that he didn't like and would leave out but um maybe we'll pick up with that with him on, a, on another show so um so the usual sort of goodbyes and, and things dan have you got anything you want to say before we close the show down uh just the usual thank you to everyone who's um contributing and who's uh commented and given us feedback on existing stuff uh, everyone who's putting stuff into the social medias, uh, there's been more activity. Obviously, probably more people around doing hobby at the moment for obvious reasons, but it's really good to see. Um, Andrew Cox is putting out some great stuff. I just read posted something earlier. I haven't got around to watching that yet, but I'll be, I'll be doing that later. And um, Dan Slob and the, the guys there as well, um, putting out some really interesting uh, you know, stuff onto the, their, their own channels and sharing it with us and the, the usual sort of podcast crew. So, uh, Thanks to everyone for that. Uh, more content is always good, especially in times like these. So thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm behind, like I mentioned at the beginning. I'm quite behind on a lot of my social, on my um sort of media stuff. So I'm a bit behind on podcasts, but more non more gaming ones at the moment. And uh, I'm really behind on YouTube because I would sit down at my desk and be watching that. But my work times have been a bit all over the place. So I've got quite a lot to catch up on, including some tabletop stuff. Um, a couple of live streams have missed. Um, him and Damien, uh, sorry, Stephen Damien have done their latest battle games live stream as well. So, Lockie's so on quite a few behind. So, hopefully, um, next week I'll get a little bit more time at my desk working and I'll start to sort of plow through and catch up with, with some of those. Um, 
But um, there's not really much else to say. I wanted to give a little um, one more reminder about the competition to win the crab, and you need to go back and listen to episode nine. But um, basically, you need to listen to, to something at the end of that show, and that'll tell you how to enter. So uh, lots of people will automatically be entered, and I'm going to regret the way I'm running the poll, running the competition when I have to start putting, God knows, probably like close to a thousand names in a spreadsheet or something like that. It's going to be. I didn't really think that through, but hey. I'm going to do it the way I said. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, please go back and enter the competition. Listen to episode nine to find out how you can get your number of entries. Um, next episode, we're going to hopefully start something, a new mini segment that will come after our main our main topic. Just a little short bit of fun um, to help us with our um, distance gaming um, dice rolling. So we're going to call it Heroic Deathmatch. So some of you will may have been aware that um, I think Jay on uh, Warhammer Community a couple of times has done articles where he's almost done a mini competition where characters fight each other and the winner goes through the next round etc um, we're not going to do it as a competition but what we're going to do is each show have two heroes matched off we're going to just describe their profiles and then actually roll out the fight. Um, so roll real dice live for us and not for you guys. Um, it'll nice be a real little short segment, only about 10 minutes or so. Um, so we'll, we'll cover two profiles. We'll fight them off against each other. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have a little discussion at the end about whether we think the fight went the way we thought, whether dice were the winner or whether... Um, averages and statistics were and things and just would be a little bit different for the show so please send in if you have any ideas matchups you'd like to see let us know so comment on the show send me a message send any of us a message and say i'd really like to see so and so fight so and so maybe you want to see the the epic matchup that is fatty bulger um fighting lobelia i don't know maybe more interesting matchups uh to exist of course um and then before we go Please, uh, please head over to Facebook and like our page. Um, join our Facebook group as well. Get involved in there. You can follow us on Instagram at OOTFP podcast and on Twitter at OOTFP. And if you'd like to email us directly, you can at OOTFP podcast at gmail.com. So I uh, hope you've enjoyed the show. Thank you for making it to the end and um, get in touch. Run!